everybody, and welcome to Monsters Lounge. Hey, Jenny, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Tressa, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. You're you're welcome for asking. <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> I was thinking while we while we were watching the intro, one of these days I'm gonna write a book and it's gonna have the backstories of every <sighs> picture in there because I want to know pictures. about the gossipy. Bigfoot and uh, Housewife from the 70s. That's what I want to know about. Right? I know. I think one is a career woman Mm -hmm. uh, trying to get the other one to join the workforce Mm -hmm. and rise up against... The man. The man. And Sinka. Mm -hmm. So it'll be based around that, but it'll be longer. I feel like more details are needed. Yeah, I would like more. Thank you. Yeah, listen, we have a really exciting guest tonight. Is that so? It is so. It is very much so. What am I saying now? (laughs) I have been listening to his podcast lately, and I've listened to a few interviews, and I also got a book of his almost about a year ago, and I thoroughly enjoy it. The book is called Sinister Swamps, Monsters and Mysteries from the Mire. I'm reading it from it right here. Oh, you can't see it. It's invisible. It's invisible. It's an invisible book. Um, but Lyle Blackburn has to be one of the best storytellers that I've ever heard. When he when he talks and when he writes about all of the adventures, you kind of feel like you're there. It's Ooh. fantastic. So he has, like I said, the great podcast, Monstro Bizarro, Ooh. which has all sorts of tales. Like, it's all over the place. It's so good. And he's been on a ton of TV shows. And he's narrated several films. There's a complete list of them on his website, which is lyoblackburn.com. So go check that out, please. Uh, He's a cryptozoologist. He's a researcher, author, musician, narrator, all-around paranormal dude. And I'd say an explorer. Because he's going. Yeah, he's going all these places. Yeah, so he's a native Texan. And his love of cryptids began early in life. Hmm. Yeah, very similar to mine. Anyway. Uh, please help me welcome Lyle Blackburn. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Hello, welcome to our humble show, Lyle. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so specifically, when when I heard you were going to be on, I got really excited because I don't know a lot about the cryptids and the lore of the South outside of what I've read in the swamps, which is amazing because those are some of the coolest places that are so steeped in lore and myth right but we were really hoping to hear some stories about some of these cryptids i'm sure you have plenty (laughs) i have a lifetime of uh, work in that but yes uh I do tend to research in the South simply because that's where I live, but also there's a a plethora of strange things that have been reported in lots of different environments, you know, from the Eastern portion, like Florida, all the way to the, to the West where you have arid desert types. So you really get a a great variety and in there. And of course, a lot of swamps. So my Sinister Swamps book covers many notorious swamps from around the U S but Many of those are in the south and southeast because that's, you know, well, that's where rot- water runs down. So yeah. <laughs> uh, it's very swampy. But, um, but yeah, so um, I, I enjoy these subjects and research them and love to tell these stories. I mean, I see myself almost as a storyteller as much as a researcher or whatever else that that's involved, you know. Yeah, and you're, you're very good at it. Like, I love listening to stories like I love audiobooks and like podcasts that are just stories and the way that you tell them is very very interesting and intriguing and I had no idea how wildernessy like swamps and bogs actually are like I've seen them a tiny bit but not much but then I was watching Naked and Afraid <laughs> be quiet Tressa uh and they do like a couple of episodes in in Swapland and in the American South and it's it's impressive <laughs> Yeah, I mean, those are places where, you know, if, if if you just got dropped into the middle of that, you would be hard-pressed to find your way out or to even survive. You know, they're, they're beautiful and wonderful, wondrous works of nature, but at the same time, extremely dangerous with pitfalls everywhere. And that's, I mean, of course, any sort of like Scooby-Doo episode or horror movie, <laughs> it's a spooky setting. You know, the haunted house, like in your background is always ne- is always next to the swamp you know it's yeah. like 
you combine those things and but it's true you know swamplands are places that are the least developed i mean and in the south you know we don't have those huge like pacific northwest forests you know a lot contiguous woods we have a lot of broken up environments but where there are areas like swampy woods and things like that you know it's not very easy to develop so you don't have a lot of foot traffic a lot of people and in some cases you know, the, those lands are still as they were, you know, when the country was settled. So if something were to prefer a remote secluded environment or to survive to the modern times, those are great places because, um, you know, they're more out of the way. So if you were like a lizard man, perhaps you would prefer that sort of environment? Exactly. And, and not perhaps not coincidentally, the, the most famous lizard man case is from Bishopville, South Carolina. And it's a very, very small town in, in Lee County. And what the incidents that took place primarily in the late 80s, where people reported seeing this bipedal, upright, reptilian, humanoid type creature uh, with scales, it was described as either brownish or green. Um, a really creepy type creature, and it was seen near an area called Scape or Swamp. So it was definitely associated right there with a swamp. And I did not cover that in Sinister Swamps because I've written a book uh, called Lizard Man, which covered this crazy case that involved uh, the the sheriff um, of Lee County and all these deputies. And I mean, there's police reports all sorts of stuff that were involved in that case as citizens came forward and said they had seen this creature. Whereas most cryptid cases, you know, somebody may call the police and say, I saw a Bigfoot or whatever, but this was continual involvement by police detectives and um, the Sheriff Truesdale, which I, before his death, I spent some time with him and looked through all these police files and and uh, when I was working on the book. They actually investigated they actually went and did investigations about this thing? Yeah, I mean, they kind of took it seriously in the, in the, from the standpoint of, well, we're not convinced there is a unknown creature or a, a quote-unquote lizard man, but enough people, incredible people and things that happened, it's like, well, if we don't look into this and somebody gets hurt or killed or it turns out to be, even if it's a rogue bear or whatever, you know, they felt responsible. So, so they were involved in interviewing people and making them write down their statements, giving lie detector tests, all kinds of stuff that is very not typical with, you know, most cryptid cases. Right. That's great. Yeah. What was your vibe? Or can you tell us a little bit more about the story of it and perhaps kind of what you were thinking when you were investigating it? Well, th this all started in around June of 1988. And the very first thing that alerted the police is they, they got a call from a couple who lived right on the edge of Skateboard Swamp. And they said they woke up and it looked one morning and it looked like an animal had basically attacked or mauled their vehicle, their car. And they, they see footprints and stuff was ripped off the, you know, the, the trim was ripped. There was, look what they thought were bike marks or scratches. And they were just like, this is crazy. So the police came down there and the deputies were looking at it and they thought this is really bizarre. So they called the sheriff and they were trying to make sense of this. And as they were looking into it, uh, some of the locals kind of started gathering and one of them suggested, well, maybe it was the lizard man. And Sheriff Truesdale said, the lizard man, what do you mean? And they said, well, lately, several of, of our residents here have seen this sort of strange creature lurking in the swamp. And they went on to describe this. And the sheriff's like, OK, uh, whatever, you know. And, and so they really they just assumed that animals got up and were fighting on the car and they couldn't make much sense of it. But later on, this kind of got printed in the newspaper. And then a few weeks later, a young man came forward. His name was Christopher Davis, and he was a high school kid at the time. And he said, well, I didn't want to report this at the time because I thought people would think I'm crazy. But um, one evening, June 29th, um, he was driving uh, home at 2 a.m. from his fast food job in Bishopville, and he had to go through the area of Skateboard Swamp. 
Well, he just so happened to get a flat tire out there, and there's really no, there was no one out there, so he had to change it. Just about the time he got through changing it, he saw this figure coming at him, and he could see it in the moonlight coming through the fennel grass out there. And at first he thought it was a person, which is scary enough, but he says as it got closer, he realized it's not a person. It's this scaly sort of humanoid creature um, that he said had reddish eyes and and like three fingers with long fingernails and it was just coming at him so he jumped in the car takes off this thing tries to get him and jumps on the car and is trying to reach in and he managed to escape so so he goes home his his, his dad was there and, and there's this whole thing but obviously he didn't just run out to the newspapers and, and tell anyone it wasn't until there was some new news coverage and then his father said well maybe you should go tell the police about what happened because this may have something to do with it so this kid was extremely credible they gave him all sorts of interviews and later a lie detector test and that's really what set it off and then people began coming forward saying well i saw something too two years ago i saw this and there were subsequent sightings and this became a media frenzy so much that People Magazine was down there covering it. Dan Rather was doing it on uh, CBS Morning News. It, it was just a huge thing, and that and that's uh, that was the case. I had read about it a few times, and I was intrigued, and I was out there on a swamp tour. Uh, I'm sure most people go on swamp tours. I mean, I literally, I was going around the South going to various swamps, and I showed up in that town, and I met the sheriff, and my take on it is that you know, there's there's a very there's credible witnesses, and they just can't really explain away what they saw. I can't say it was a, a flesh and blood creature, or a, an unknown thing, um, but by their description, it's just hard to explain what they saw. I think there was a lot of frenzy around it, and I think some people probably see things and maybe add to it. Um, but essentially, there was a core of of intriguing sightings that never has been explained. Did the sightings basically drop off after some point? Yeah, more or less. They, they, you know, if you dated back with the people who said they had seen stuff prior to the news coming out, that was around 1986. And there was sightings that went to around 1992. And one of the late, later sightings literally was a family of of four people who all saw it at once come out. And the police took them down there and interviewed them. And I've got the handwritten papers and you look at it like whatever these people saw, they're not making this up, you know. Then after 1992, it did just sort of just just drop off and Mm -hmm. you just really didn't hear of any sightings in that particular area of what we call, quote unquote, lizard men. Do we know why it hates cars so much? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question because that wasn't the only one. There was two other cars that were mauled in this <laughs> in this whole thing which was just another whole bizarre you know side story to it and so yeah like i've seen cartoons where you know lizard man's like i hate cars <laughs> technology <laughs> hey man he was like going for green energy before anyone else i mean he's green in the swamp it makes sense yeah I mean, faded away when he uh, felt that he had protested, or he got a little too old to mm. protest. Perhaps. Right, he's old and should retire. Um, yeah, it's just one of those strange cases that I had read about, and it, you know, they sort of highlighted Christopher Davis's sighting, but there was a lot more to it. So once I got to the town and started kind of sussing out the story, and I was meeting other witnesses who literally had seen the lizard man or what they thought was a lizard man back in 1988 I was able to interview them so it really started coming forth with I'm like this this can make a whole book you know so I ended up just doing that book were there any sort of like reports or sightings like I know that sometimes these stories sort of morph over time depending on uh what's going on culturally like during the time period but was there anything that seemed similar that was reported prior to this or like a lot of cryptids have that tie back to some of the some of the first peoples was there anything that you could find that tied it back a little bit there there in fact was um i 
I interacted with some folks that run a museum in Bishopville, and they were very knowledgeable about past history of that area and stuff. And uh, working with them, we found some documentation that uh, spoke about some native tribes that lived in that area, um, you know, back in in years in the past, in Native American um, before you know, settlers came in there. And these stories were kind of written by people who had first explored the area. And they described a, in one of their tales, this race of people that they said came from the sea and they were scaly and they had a very short sort of sharp tail. And they, they said they had to kind of dig a hole if they wanted to sit comfortably in order to talk and they said these creatures you know like like they were described as somewhere i guess between almost a creature from the black lagoon is what a kind of vibe it gave me but um there's not much to these tales but they they are they were tales told and they said that these this race of of sea people disappeared when the fish ran low and then they never saw them again so I thought it's like, here, here's the crazy thing is because like some, somebody like Christopher Davis, this kid, you know, he's in high school. There's no way he would know any of that. I mean, the, yeah. this story is coming from people who have just historians that have delved, you know, deep dives into this. You know, if people wanted to make this up, you, you couldn't even make it up. And, and there you had at least some sort of similar creature described by Native Americans in the very same area. It's weird. That always gets me whenever there's there's stories that go sort of through the ages. You know, obviously everything changes, but the ones that tie back, and there's something. There's a little something going on. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you kind of always want to look at a case and say, well, it didn't just pop out here, perhaps, you know, like in this one. But now some old timers said, well, yeah, two years ago I saw this, but what am I going to do, run to the newspaper? you start digging further and you find often almost always native american tales of similar type where cryptids whether it's you know a bigfoot type forest person a hairy man or a reptilian type thing or even thunderbirds or huge birds and and surely lake monsters almost every lake monster has tale you know native american tales that that talk of devil serpents in the water or whatever it is they they describe. We just were talking about some of the some of the lake monsters that are around and and sometimes when we talk about like these cryptids, it's an interesting idea that they're residual descendants of something that we thought perhaps went extinct and did actually in fact not, but adapted to survive. I always like that idea. Have you ever given any sort of credence to that whatsoever? Well, yeah, I mean that that kind of theory is one that's should be examined in all these cryptid cases. Um, in the case of the lizard man, there there were some studies by some anthropologists that they had theorized what they called the dinosauroid theory, and it was it was almost like if if dinosaurs like theropods had evolved. And or been given that opportunity to evolve over time, that perhaps if their their brains got larger and other factors that they know are consistent with evolution type progressions, that they have they thought that this thing would begin to step up, set, uh, walk upright, its head would get bigger, and it would essentially start looking more anthropomorphic, which would be humanoid and they have this drawing and i use it in the book but it's this it's a really creepy looking thing and it's like like if a dinosaur had evolved and became more anthropoid like us anthropomorphic it looks very much like a lizard man um so i thought that was interesting in this case and of course with lake monsters of course plesiosaurs and other dinosaurs are the first thing you look at because it's like well we know those existed we have the fossil records and now people are describing something similar you know is that it um mochilium bimbe which is a uh said to be a sort of brontosaurus if you will type 
animal in the African Congo that has been sighted by natives? Well, you know, in that case, did one of these type dinosaurs survive, you know, to, to modern times? So that's that, you know, there's always that sort of line between is, is it something that survived? But if that's hard to say, they would have had to go on underground or something else because of the meteor, the cloud dust and the, the black, just, you know, those huge dinosaurs just had no chance. But in the water, that's that's why plesiosaurs like very much could have survived. That's and megalodon, saying. just saying. I'm just going to throw that one in there. Yeah, the megalodon, megalodon. Uh, theories and whatever else may lurk at the lowest depth that we, you know, we, we've explored uh, probably more of space than we have our own deep oceans. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next thing that I have to ask about is a little bit of a diversion from from anything reptilian whatsoever. Dogmen and Rougarou, which I know are in the South. I don't know hardly anything about them. I mean, I know a little bit about like the Michigan Dogmen, but outside of that, I'm not super familiar. All right. So so the gist of Dogman and Rougarou, Rougarou is a essentially a werewolf-type creature described in Cajun legends. The Cajuns, of course, are descendants of French settlers, and Cajuns uh, populated southern Louisiana, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and place like that. Um, they have traditions kind of passed down from from werewolf tales from the French, like loup garou. That kind of morphed into the term rougarou. So what they're describing there is a little bit somewhere between folklore and, and a cryptid, because it's very much a your grand your grandma says don't you know you don't go out there at, at night you know the rougarou will get you you know just sort of like the boogeyman but um in cryptozoology there's a category of creatures called dogmen and this would be very basically essentially people seeing something that we would describe as a werewolf now, that doesn't mean in terms of like movie werewolves or the werewolf traditions of, you know, a person transforming into, you know, a bipedal wolf like supernatural like um, the range of descriptions almost sound like this, you know, a huge uh, canid that that has taken the ability to walk upright on two legs. It's big. It's it's you know, it's doing things that we do not expect a canid to do. And the, the Dogman legends really kind of sparked from the case called Beast of Bray Road, which took place in Elkhorn, Wisconsin, back in the 80s, um, researched by my late uh, associate, Linda Godfrey, who wrote a, wrote a book. She was a uh, journalist at the time. People began reporting seeing werewolves, basically. And there were enough credible witnesses and she was just a, just a journalist, you know, no, no, she wasn't like she was a cryptozoologist or anything. She just was intrigued by these just, you know, people, credible people describing this. So she began to look into it. Um, and then as I guess, throughout cryptid research, people have pulled in other reports from all over like Pennsylvania and the, the Michigan area other places where people have reported these bipedal canids. Um, and now it's, it's a popular subject. So everybody's kind of contributed. And with the internet, you know, you can find witnesses to talk. It seems that uh, there is prolific as Bigfoot. There's just so many dogman reports and there's, there's many in the South where I live. I'm in Northeast Texas and uh, we have sightings kind of in central Texas in the hill country we have an area called the Dogman Triangle, which has such a concentration of Dogman sightings that it's sort of become this like weird. I mean, paranormal regions are always triangles, right? Bermuda right, Triangle, yeah, Bridgewater Triangle. Mm-hmm. So we have the Dogman Triangle here, and uh, so these reports are are just. I mean, they're coming out a lot now. So um, this has a been a popular cryptid uh, study in the last few years and of course that kind of looks back to Rougarou where we say well I mean maybe this isn't all folklore you know maybe and like a lot of this some of it may be tales but 
it's got to trace back to something. And perhaps these people did, you know, to a certain extent, see something that they thought was a werewolf. It has. I feel like we've been hearing a lot about Dogman in the past, I don't know, five years or so. Mm-hmm. It just really yeah. popped up all of a sudden. Yeah. Is there, I mean, obviously the Rougarou has been around for a very long time, but like up up north, is this a more recent thing? Pretty much. I mean, it, it, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I mean, I've been doing this a long time and you, a decade or more ago, you just didn't hear much about Dogman. It was all sort of Beast of Bray Road case. Mm-hmm. And then I knew of some other scant reports, you know, that people had seen similar creatures. Kind of the same for the lizard man. It's like the Bishopville lizard man is the primary one, but there's you know there's scattered reports of similar things. It was like that, but it, like you say, in the last five years, especially with with internet shows and things, I mean, Dogman stuff is is reported everywhere, and a lot of it is very recent. So yeah. either that's either just the stories are just now coming out in some cases, or these things are breeding and running amok out there, <laughs> and we better get the silver bullet. Yeah, we gotta spay and neuter our dogmen. They're getting everywhere. Seriously, exactly. be responsible pet owners. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, it, it, you see trends in everything, and so it's it's a popular thing. So that and it's ex, ex, more acceptable. It's like with Bigfoot. I mean, if the, twenty years ago you really didn't want to tell people you saw a Bigfoot, right. nowadays it's like Hey, guess what I saw? You know, it's all over cable, TV. Everybody's seen Finding mm-hmm. Bigfoot and everything else. I saw one, you know, but the things change and trends and what people are willing to share that could be sensitive. They don't want people making fun of them or thinking they're crazy. Yeah, I I like that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Part of it is, yes, I'm a little bit more immersed in the world of anything paranormal at this point in time, but it really does seem like, like the actual stigma of it is going down as more people talk about it, you know? Which I was like that. It was like stigma going down. So. Yeah, I mean, all across paranormal, <laughs> really. I mean, look at all the ghost hunter shows that are on TV now from, from when they started. And, you know, people... I think recognize that weird stuff goes on in the world and you're not crazy if you see it because you're not the only one. And I think that's been a major factor with people coming forward. Oh, hundred percent. You know, yeah. and on, on the off on the, the other side of the coin, I mean, it does put that in people's minds. So now we're interpreting the world based on, well, now I know there's a dog man, there's a Bigfoot, there's a lizard man, you know, so you got to watch out what influences are, structure because social and and culture the way you're raised is how you influences how you see the world so if you're raised in the pacific northwest and grandma told you tales of seeing big hairy ape men in the woods you know that you they call sasquatch well if you see something and it's hairy and it's walking upright i saw a sasquatch you're you're in cajun country grandma's warned about the rougarou this big wolf thing you see a big hairy thing in the woods, maybe it is a Bigfoot, but you're going to say, I saw a Rougarou. But that doesn't discount that people are seeing big hairy things in the woods. It's just how we can interpret those things without without being just, having the luxury of seeing them up close or for five minutes to study them. You know, these sightings are very quick and, and like with Dogman or something, quite frightening. So... <laughs> Usually you're turning and running as you're observing. <laughs> yes. That would probably be what I would do. Oh, you know what? We need to take a break. Oh, my God. I totally forgot. Uh, so uh, we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However... There are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. 
That's what I did with BetterHelp. When I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. So, Lyle, you have so much information in that brain of yours. Do you have a favorite of all of the stories and investigations that you just love to talk about? Because I want to hear about it. Uh, like a favorite um, particular case or a favorite cryptid? Uh, yes, whatever you have in the tip of your head where you're like, I can't wait we to We would about like this. to know both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the thing that's closest to my heart is, is the Falk monster, uh, otherwise known as the Boggy Creek monster, which is a Sasquatch-like creature reported in southwest Arkansas, uh, just north of where I live in Texas, right across the border. And this this was a big influence on me because in the 70s, there was a film called The Legend of Boggy Creek that came out. And it was literally a sort of docudrama horror film that was way ahead of its time. It was something like almost what we see on the cable shows with the reenactments and stuff, but it was a horror movie and it really played up real reports by people um, that had seen this hairy, scary, human, humanoid, uh, Bigfoot-like creature in, in that swampy south area in southwest Arkansas. And so, you know, since that was close to my home and I had been to Arkansas, I, my, my father was a hunter and we camped a lot. We camped in Arkansas and hunted everywhere. Um, you know, this was in my own backyard. And it was a very scary movie that was hugely popular. It was made for um, like less than around $160,000. And it went on to make millions of dollars, like $25 million in the 70s because it was so huge. So it, I saw that and, you know, I loved that film when I was a kid. So as an adult now sort of looking at things with a more investigative mind and looking at cryptid cases i'm like that case i've got to look into that and that that was ended up being my first book called the beast of boggy creek which talks about the sightings and the history of this creature which i found went back much further than what's in the movie and surprisingly to me had continued and still continues and um the book whereas i thought i was writing a book that's primarily historical based i realized that you know it, it had the sightings of the creature that dated back many years and talking about how that movie was made and how that had made this little town of falk arkansas into this sort of center point of southern bigfoot culture and people had seen it all you know since so some of those cases now i'm able to interview firsthand witnesses um, that are similar to what was being dramatized in the original movie. So in, in, one, in, in several of those interviews, I've interviewed people that I feel are the most credible people I've interviewed who had the most dramatic sightings. One of those was in 1981. A young man um, was fishing on his family's pond in this area near the Sulphur River, where there's a long history of sightings. This was after the movie, so everybody there knew of the movie. It was very famous, but maybe it's in the back of their heads, but, you know, it wasn't their focus of life. He was sitting there fishing, and it was kind of starting to get dusk, and he heard something walking in the leaves. And he, he'd heard something rustling around, and he thought it was the neighbor's bull 
that had gotten out and gotten on their property. And they own a big chunk of property that's just private land, and it is very wooded out there. It's still wooded, but it was very uh, wooded back then. And he kept hearing that, and, and of course, he's on the water, and he's being very quiet. And he said that all of a sudden, over this ridge, he saw this hairy, ape-like thing walking upright on two legs, and he could see it from about 60 feet away. It didn't see him right off because he, he just sitting on the water, just quietly fishing. He said the thing didn't even look at him. It was walking at an angle. He observed this thing for, you know, 15 seconds or, or more. I mean, a long time. Watched it walk and walked up over a ravine and disappeared behind there. He said it was he was a he's a tall guy he was like six foot he said this thing was as tall as me or taller definitely taller walked sort of hunched over and it was not a person it was not a person in a costume it was not a hallucination what he observed you know of course just scared him to death and at that point he rode to the edge and got out of the boat and he kind of stopped and listened and then he heard all of a sudden boom 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 this thing just took off running he didn't see which stay to see which way it was running at him or away but he just took off running for the house um, where he his dad was driving up and he saw his dad he's an excellent witness i've gotten to know his entire family um, as i have many people there in falc over the years um, i know his dad his mother um, very fine people and he's an excellent witness and those are the kind of things you just can't explain because i'm like this guy saw that and I can't tell you what exactly he saw, but I tell you 100%. He's not making this up, and and this this is the kind of thing that keeps you going because you know again there's unexplained things in our world. How thrilling too for you having seen the movie and then investigating all of these things and talking to these people. Yeah, it's 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 very surreal because these you know I watched the movie. I saw the movie just the one time as a kid in a drive-in theater and then it wasn't until years later it was on tv and then somewhere later i found a dvd and i've been a musician most of my life and i would sit on the tour bus and i would play this dvd over and over and the band members thought it was nuts <laughs> it's the greatest movie of all time i love the movie so it's surreal that as it has gone forward once i wrote the book i interviewed these people I've visited places that are seen in the movie, people who are involved. The new the new release of the 4K HD Blu-ray has a commentary track on it by me talking, you know, you can turn that on and it gives you extra history um, because I've been involved with the restoration of the film. There's been a restored version by Eastman Kodak. So yeah, it's, it's really bizarre to be uh, involved. And we, there's a Falk Monster Festival now every year in the town. Um, it's a, you know, a lot of, all Bigfooters love to come to Falk and um, it's a big, it's a big deal. So it's a, it's an honor to be involved and to sort of carry on that story. Like I said, to document sightings that have occurred since rather than just talking about all, all, all of the past. And it, it is a current story. Man. Yeah. That's gotta be, yeah, I can, I can only imagine how thrilling that is. Much like meeting the voice of Kermit. I'm just going to throw that out there. Whatever. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I first got interested in cryptids and stuff from movies that I would see as a kid. Like some of those horror movies that were just, you know, about the creatures and about things. Because you always start to think, well, hang on, what if? Right? And, and you take away like the horror aspect of it where they're running rampant and killing everything. But what if? What if some of these things exist? You know, and you read old mythology and folklore and all sorts of things. And that's awesome. I, I guess is just my point that you got to be a part of that. So that is your favorite, that is your favorite guy. But is there a different story that, that you enjoyed investigating as well? There's been so many. Um, I invested, investigated a case known as Momo, which is the Missouri monster. And that took place around the same time in the early seventies in a little town in Missouri. And it, it also had just some super bizarre 
circumstances in which people saw this hairy upright creature but in this case they said it had a hair that hung hung over its face and on one occasion these kids saw it and it was carrying a dead what looked like a dead dog and it was bloody and just a scary just a scary thing and uh again this one i had read about uh in a book called monsters of north america when i was younger and so I went to the town, the whole the whole thing, and interviewed people that were involved and kind of studied that situation. But it was it was a crazy story because when all that was going on, the sheriff's department there organized a a hunt, and they got like twenty guys together and went up on what's called Marzoff Hill, which backs up against this little town. They went out there like, I mean, it's like a horror movie. They went searching for whatever it was that people were seeing and they were armed and carrying shotguns and just that whole thing. And, um, you know, you just can't make this stuff up. It, it happened in real life. I can't imagine now that the police would organize a cryptid hunt, but, um, <laughs> back then, you know, they took it seriously and people saw this and I was able to talk to pretty much one of the seminal witnesses, Doris Harrison, who saw the thing, um, in July 1972, which had been written about many times. I was able to speak to her on the phone, not in the greatest of health, but it's just, again, a very surreal thing to talk to this witness. So many years later, I'd read this name and I knew the monster and all that. So so those are, those are amazing times when you can sort of bring forth investigate the past as well as, you know, what, what has happened? Do people still report these in Missouri? And of course there's a slew of Bigfoot sightings reported in, in Missouri and right across in Illinois and other places. So that, that was a great case. And, uh, you know, I've been up to Point Pleasant, West Virginia and looked, looked at the areas where the Mothman was sighted, um, and the TNT bunkers back there. Um, where the witnesses first saw it. That, that's an amazing, weird place. I've been there too. It's crazy. It's it's a really weird vibe all around. And that museum, boy, howdy, cannot get enough <laughs> of movie facts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And it's great that they've preserved that history by, you know, Wamsley's by making the museum because, well, like it or not, whether these little towns like their monster or not, it is part of history and it is appealing. And now mm-hmm. the Mothman Festival is drawing twenty or twenty-five thousand people. People, people love it, and it's great to preserve that kind of history of a time where things were crazy, and and the police were looking for these creatures, and people were seeing it, and the news was reporting on it every day. It just, it's just really cool stuff. Have you had any experiences? Like, have you had any firsthand sightings? Or also, second part of that, have you been in those places where you've felt something and maybe not seen something? Yes. Over the years, um, there's been a number of times where I've been, you know, out researching or in areas where strange things have happened and I've seen stuff. one one place where I didn't quite see it, but felt it was there. I was in the, the Akala National Forest in Florida, uh, researching skunk ape, and that the Akala National Forest is a place where there's a long history of sightings. And uh, um, I've always been intrigued by the skunk ape because it's very swampy in Florida, and there's a really long history. Numerous witnesses reporting this ape-like Bigfoot creature. Um, so I was in, in the Akala National Forest one January, completely deserted. I was there with my with my research partner, Cindy, that's gone out on a lot of these um, expeditions. And we heard something hitting a can in the basically in the palmettos in the woods. And uh, I don't, you know, it was very weird, something hitting, and there was no people out there. There was nothing. So I, I ran in the ran after it, basically, plunged into the woods, and whatever this thing was, got up and took off running. And it was basically just ahead. I was trying to see it with a flashlight, and it would move and run, and then it would stop, and I'd listen. And then as soon as I start walking forward, it would run, move further. And that went on for a bit before I realized, I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to be lost out here or whatever. It 
it got really spooky. I never could catch it, but I don't know what else could hit a can. I found the can back up at the thing and also the the running i mean i've i've been a hunter i've heard deer and hogs and all kinds of other stuff and this was sounded big heavy and as far as i could tell bipedal but you know it's a little hard to tell but um that was scary but i think the scariest thing about that is running blindly towards something (laughs) i would get lost and be terrified I did not know where I was. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I don't know if everybody understands that in some of these forest areas and some of these national parks, the darkness that happens at night is sort Black. of all encompassing. And I'm just I'm blown away by the idea where you're like, all right, I got a flashlight. I'm going to go running through this. Thing. <laughs> like, no, oh, yeah, you. there's. I just figure, I don't know. I, I This is my chance, you know, whatever. Yeah. If, Hopefully I'll live to tell the story. <laughs> or least... find your way home, maybe. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I'll, I'll get out of here. I mean, somebody will finally, surely. I'm just kind of, there's only been a couple of times I've been scared. I mean, I, I've come up on alligators and, and cottonmouth water moccasins. And um, I've seen bears in the wild. And then bears move very silently. You, when you come out and you see a bear, you're like, you didn't hear it coming. I mean, it, it is so uh, adept in the woods. It's it's a little scary because you know they have more power than you. Um, I wouldn't chase a bear, but <laughs> that's good. But Seems apparently, reasonable. Apparently, I'll chase a skunk ape. <laughs> um, I, I the the only time I've had a sighting of a cryptid or believe I did was in the Boggy Creek area. And this was, this was not long ago. In fact, in 2021, a lot of stuff has happened there over the years, howls and something stalking us. And I ran after something once in the dark, um, but never, never could see whatever it was clearly. But this was in the day and I was there and I just so happened to be on my way to interview a woman who had recorded some really intriguing howls that sounded a lot like what we had heard before and what other Bigfoots are purported to sound like. This was like 3.30 in the afternoon, and we were standing at the edge of this bayou channel, which is, there's a bayou there, but it has a channel, like a you know a water channel. It's deep, and there's, there's alligators in that and everything. And I just happened to be looking at these two trees that familiar markers. We've camped there for many years, and we were just looking at the the water level or whatever. And I see something move, catch my eye like movement. And I looked over there to see if it was just the, the leaves moving or what it was. And right, right through this clearing, I see this big reddish looking thing move across there walking or, or whatever it was. It was just big, huge. And it was only in view for a short period of time before it was just in the thick brush and gone. This is like in May. So that's, you know, the foliage starts growing up. It's really thick down there. You can't see very far. This big reddish thing. And I don't know what else it was. I felt, I can't say a hundred percent. That was one of these creatures, but no, there's no people over there. It's not, it's not an. It's not owned. I've, we've never seen a person over there, and you can't get over there without going through the water. And there's no cars here, no one parked other than us. And uh, my friend that was there, he didn't see it. I mean, it was very short. But here's the weird part: is you would think, well, not many people describe Bigfoot-like creatures as being reddish in color, and typically they're you know black, dark brown, reddish brown, brown. Uh, what have you. But uh, we had been at this place called the Monster Mart up in the little town of Falk, this amazing convenience store that has a giant Bigfoot coming over it. And a local there that I happened to talk to said he believed he had seen the creature just weeks before that. He said it ran across a road and a road I'm familiar with, broad daylight. And he said to me, it looked kind of like an orangutan. You know, that's what I would describe the color he said, this is just, this just happened. I mean, I just happened to be in there and this guy happened to be there because some of the locals have seen stuff, but they're not on the hotline calling Lyle Blackburn. You know? <laughs> yeah. just, well, I saw this, you know, it's just sort of 
take it or leave it. Well, he had described seeing this reddish thing, and it wasn't 20 or, 20 or 30 minutes later that we're down there, and I literally see this big red thing move across that clearing. So that was that was bizarre. That's fantastic. Yeah. You guys, we got to wrap it up. It's about that time. Oh, man, it totally is. Lyle, tell us all the things <laughs> that you want people to know about about you. Well, I do a lot of things, as you heard in the intro, so <laughs> I won't reiterate that. Um, but if you want to know more about uh, my projects and my works, you can visit lyleblackburn.com. It's got a list of the books I've written. I've written several books. I've uh, been in uh, part of documentary films, um, and I do my podcast, Monstro Bazaro, which you can find on all your favorite podcast platforms. Um, and of course, my books are available also on Amazon. Yeah, just search Lyle Blackburn. And we'll have links to as many of those things as I can remember in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be all. It'll be all. It's fine. It's oh, fine. man. Yeah. So I appreciate you having me. Thank oh, you so thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. And we have our new website is up, right, Jenny? It is up. It it's, is. What, what is it? Monsters Ladies Lounge Podcast. That lounge? Oh, Monsters no. Lounge Podcast. No, we Second. tried that one out, but there was a, it was already taken and it was oh. not. Mm, it was weird. It was, it was awkward. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you guys, uh, you check out the show notes for Lyle's stuff. Check our website for <laughs> merch because girls got to get paid. And uh, rate, review, subscribe on all the platforms. We love you and we will see you next week. Uh, next week. Goodbye. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>